everyone. Welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here. If and this welcome. Is, if this is your 133rd time, I think this is episode 133, joining us, um, welcome back again. Sorry about missing last week. Um, we all kind of came down, well, a few of us in the family, myself included, and Molly kind of came down sick and kind of threw us off. We didn't kind of come down sick. We came down sick. <clears throat> and we're still... We were both out for a solid two days. We're still dealing with the ramifications of that. I, you know, so maybe it's COVID. I don't know. But regardless, we're back at it this week. And, uh, if you don't know what to expect this week's show, neither do we, because we don't plan it out ahead of time. I have a time-stamped uh, map of the show and what we talk about in the show notes so you can scan through and take a look there and also the the title typically hints at whatever it is we we talk about um for those of you that don't know we're we've been married for molly and i've been married for 15 almost 15 years uh, whatever 15 years we have four kids uh 12 10 8 and almost five and um we and if uh, you don't believe her just ask her and we live in montana on a couple of acres with uh, and we homeschool and just kind of live life. We do. Yep. We, uh, for those of you who have been following along, we we purchased twenty chickens a mere eight weeks ago. It seems like a lot longer than that. And if you were to look at the chickens, you would think they look basically full grown, but they're eight week old chickens. And Jr. finished the chicken tractor, and they are now outside. More in... of a draggable chicken shed right now. Right. And they are outside enjoying the freedom of having fresh air and uh, the freedom to peck around on the ground and roll in the dust and scratch and uh, do all the things that animals like to do. And now I get to clean our garage when I find myself with a few minutes to a few hours, an entire day. You guys, chicken dirtiness is no joke. The amount of poop that they produce is a lot and which makes me really glad we went the chicken tractor route since we have the space to spread them move them around and not having to clean out bedding from the chicken coop on a weekly or whatever basis because they're it's gross and then they just like with all their scratching around and stuff they create a ton of dust and so everything in our garage including my reserve costco supplies is covered in a fairly thick layer of dust that yeah which you know define imagine if you will what all that dust is comprised of and it's kind of gross to imagine so stop imagining it now and empathize with me that every time i bring something inside i spray it down with my vinegar essential oil disinfectant before i open it and use it um yeah so everything in the garage needs to be completely taken out and then cleaned and put back we um I was in the middle of trying to do a little project, and I don't have, for those of you that are also new, my parents moved onto our property and converted our detached shop slash three-car garage into uh, an apartment, and we're currently working on building a new shop. But in the meantime, I've, you know, I don't have a lot of space to work, and so I went out the other night and cleaned my workbench, put everything away, kind of tidied up back there in that corner, and <clears throat> lifted up some paper that was sitting in the back and there's a mouse under there. I'm like, ah, you know, it took off. And as I started cleaning back there, I noticed it's been there for quite a while because it's just, there's just mouse poop everywhere. So, um, it's, it's turning into a little bit of a ranch, uh, ranch barn in the garage right now. But we, we get to reclaim it. 
soon. Well, hopefully. Yeah. So also going on in the last week, besides being sick, we got to the early 1800s in our curriculum, which this homeschool curriculum I do is uh, is chronological. It's the the backbone of it is following history chronologically from creation all the way up to modern times, and then we'll start over. And we're at the turn of the century, turn of the 19th century. 1800s and we got we had about four pages of reading on the lewis and clark expedition and i thought nah that's not gonna cut it we literally live how far from the yellowstone river are we maybe three or four um, miles maybe it, if that just Depending to, on which to way the closest you go. to the closest point in it yeah. we so we literally live in a valley that the expedition came through on their return trip and there's a part of there's part of the Yellowstone River. It's called the Clark's Fork, named after William Clark. When they split up on their return, he took the the Clark's Fork. It's named for him. And we're doing a homeschool tour next week or next month to Pompey's Pillar, which is a uh, a I just got a sad face emoji text from one of our kids. That's literally all it is. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you're talking about, and I'm gonna ignore it. Anyway, uh, Pompey's Pillar, Sacagawea's sons, his name was Jean-Baptiste Charbonneau because she was married, one of two Shoshone girls married to a French man whose name was Charbonneau, learned that recently, but uh, Clark nicknamed him Pompey for some reason and took such a liking to him that the boy, when he was old, old enough to go to school, actually Clark sponsored him to co- go out east and go to quote-unquote real schools out there anyway uh there's a big i don't know i mean it's called a pillar is what they call it it's this huge chunk of rock sticking up out of the land uh next along the yellowstone river about 40 miles east of billings and we are going on a field trip there next month and so i really wanted to spend more time than just the 30 minutes allotted to us on lewis and clark expedition so i Kind of paused everything we were doing for the week. And she's miming that maybe our dog pooped in the house. The dog pooped in the house. Clean it up. Is that why he was laying? It's diarrhea on the stairs. (laughs) Guys, there's dog diarrhea on our stairs right now. Okay, well... Gross. Well, it's got to get cleaned up. So yes, it does. Uh, I'll finish talking about Lewis and Clark, and maybe we tomorrow? can resume this tomorrow. <laughs> same time, same place. Jr. I don't can think sit we're here. Time now. Jr. can sit here and monologue. Yeah, because I have another cat who has blood in her stool, and I have to take her to the vet. And our recording was squeezed in with that. Anyway, uh, learned some really fun and interesting things about Lewis and Clark that maybe I learned when I was a kid, but didn't stick with me. Um, and then we watched the National Geographic documentary on the Lewis and Clark expedition. It's about 45 minutes. And I think that was great. It gave the kids a lot of appreciation for how hard the expedition was. The brutally cold winters. When we were on our way out to Minneapolis for our trip to the DR in March, we spent the night in Bismarck and we woke up and it was six degrees outside. And... The expedition spent their first winter about 20 miles north of where Bismarck is, and that six degrees 
in March was kind of nothing for how brutally cold a North Dakota winter can be. And so that the way that they weathered that winter and then also just when they started out their expedition, the men are in chest deep water hauling these big boats up the river, up the river against the current in mud. And some days they would make, go less than 10 miles in an entire day of 12 hours of pulling this boat this giant boat up the river and then crossing by foot through the Rocky Mountains, which our kids are very familiar with, but they just did a really good job. I had also gotten, I went to the library and just grabbed a bunch of stuff. I'd also gotten the Ken Burns, PBS, Lewis and Clark documentary. Very glad I also grabbed the National National Geographic one because we, we looked at how long the Ken Burns one was and Oh, it's 240 minutes. I don't think I could keep the kids engaged with it for that long. And that was proven by the fact that Faith, who was four, insisted on giving it a try. And she made it about 15 minutes in. And she made it farther than anybody else. It was just too detailed and too slow. So we did that. We watched that one evening while we were convalescing during our sickness. And we also then, what, two nights later, while we were still convalescing, watched a documentary called Chicken People that was right next to the, for some reason, right next to the National Geographic uh, Lewis and Clark one. And if if you like learning really quirky things about niche things that people get really into from really quirky people, it's a great show to pick up. Was it an hour and a half long or something? Yeah. And these people who are obsessed with show chickens. And there's one guy who's bred like 18 generations or something, or was it more like 40 generations of a particular chicken trying to perfect or improve on a breed that had fallen below these early 20th century standards called, what was it? It was called like the Book of Perfections or something, yeah, wasn't standard it? Standard of Perfection. The Standard of Perfection for chickens, different breeds, and they're still judged on that standard of perfection. And the judges, you see them during the shows pulling out the book in order to compare the arch of this chicken's back or the angle of its tail feathers or <clears throat> the, you know how much black is on the point of this feather compared to what the standard of perfection says it would be. So... Just a little recommendation for you if you're looking for something to watch and enjoy. Chicken people. There is there is swearing, which Elise, our eight-year-old, was a little scandalized by. And there's also chicken mating. So have not had the follow-up conversations. <laughs> Why is he standing on Why her? Why is he on top of her? Have not had the follow-up conversations with a couple of my kids that I need to about what was going on there. They've probably forgotten about it. But I was hoping to seize the moment, but I was just too sick to... To seize that moment. But so be warned, maybe it's not appropriate for, for really young kids um, with sensitive eyes and ears and parents who are trying to shelter them. But if you're old enough to handle it, uh, it was a fun, very interesting watch. And I think it made us appreciate our chickens a little bit more for the quirky little things that they are. Well... I think I need to stop talking and go yeah. live the glamorous we'll life of a... We'll continue at some other point. My dad has plans to work on Shop Foundation all day tomorrow, which is why I wanted to get it done today. But um, maybe, maybe we can after... squeeze in some time after Judah tonight for half yeah. an hour of conversation. Yeah, It's going to be choppy because it's hard to resume after it's breaking, okay. but you got to do what you got to do. 
<clears throat> and we're back. Yes, we are back. <laughs> uh, what? Where did we? Seven hours, seven and a half, eight hours later. Something like that. Yeah. And we left off with the, uh, I've got in the notes, the Chicken People documentary, but I don't know if that's actually the case. I don't I, remember. I think that's where we left off. I wanted to, yeah. it occurred to me while I was about to go see what sort of damage I was going to have to encounter. Yeah. How'd that, how'd that turn out? Uh, I think our dog has a pretty bad stomachache. It was really mm. gross. Uh, there were four steps worth of really gross diarrhea that I had to clean. And this is now going to turn into an advertisement for the little green clean machine. <laughs> if you have kids or pets and you do not have one, <laughs> I strongly encourage you to consider getting one. Uh, they're currently a lightning deal on Amazon. I can't remember if I got ours Amazon or, uh, or Costco. Both places sell them. All of JR post a link to... It's not the exact one that we have because they update it every year, but something really close. It's really clever because if there's a little spot that's not the edge of a set of stairs, you can set it right over the top of it and just push clean. And it does the whole cleaning and scrubbing and spraying and sucking all at once. But I tell you what, in a situation like what we just had, dog diarrhea on carpet, to be able to suck it out in a totally hands-off way, instead of grinding it further into the fibers of the carpet, is such a relief. It's completely worth the investment if you have pets or uh, or kids who disobey and bring their food on the carpet and spill things on the carpet, or who are too little to make it to the toilet when they're puking or something like that. You know, and if you try to do that exact process by hand, you would have to somehow have your face down on the carpet sucking, sucking oh, that's while you're spraying and scrubbing that's at the same so time. Gross. Oh my goodness. So anyway, you guys, it is now almost 10:30 by the time we got back to 10:30 p.m. to recording and which is why I think my voice sounds a little bit froggy. This is the time when I'm usually taking my Unisom because even though I'm very crunchy, I got addicted to Unisom. I think when I was pregnant with She's Elise. She's an opioid addict. It's not an opioid. Uh, when I was pregnant with Elise because it helped with morning sickness. And then it's just one of those things where you start trying to wean yourself off of it. And there's never a good time to be sleep deprived as a parent to go for. You couldn't even do it on vacation when there's like several nothing. weeks at a time of not getting a good night's sleep because you're weaning yourself off of a sleep aid. So anyway, we're usually at the point of time when I'm taking my Unisom to wind down for the night. And here we're going to try to have coherent conversation for... Unfortunately. It's back to the old days when when we first started the show, you guys, those of you that haven't been around since the beginning, um, we used to do the show at after judo on, I think, Tuesday nights or was it? No, it was Thursday nights. It, okay. It, it was, one of those it was nights, after judo one of those nights. It was after judo on one of those nights. So somebody said when we started, when we moved to during the day or something, we became a lot more, uh, I don't know. Coherent? coherent or something. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I, which is a problem because I'm looking at all of the things I've jotted down over the course of the last two weeks of ideas to discuss on the podcast and I'm not seeing a way to make them coherent. So I'm going to dive into the one that is the most interesting to me right now, which is not what was the most interesting to me at 2.30 this <laughs> afternoon. Uh, I, so I started Seedlings and you... In order to have a seed germinate and sprout, it's not that hard. 
plant a seed in some dirt, give it some water, give it some warmth, and it will germinate. The trick is to grow a tomato seed, which is one of the ones I'm trying to do, into the size of tomato that you would buy at a, at a nursery or at Lowe's or Home Depot to put in the ground is actually fairly complicated because you need the right balance of soil for it to do well under artificial conditions. And you need the right light. And seedlings are like any plant, phototropic, and it's super obvious when they're an inch tall. If you leave them facing their one source of light, which I don't have a grow light, I'm using sunlight, I have been using sunlight in our house, the seedlings are bent over sideways, reaching for the sunlight. <laughs> And so I'm rotating them several times a day. And then you have to make sure they get enough light or they get leggy. And I already had this happen to a cucumber where it got about, I don't know, what's that? Two inches, two Max, and a half, three. almost three inches tall. And then the middle of it just basically disintegrated of the stem. There just wasn't anything to it. So one of the very interesting things, and apparently that happens if it doesn't have enough sunlight or enough light over the course of... A 24-hour period. I feel like you're about to move into an evangelism analogy. I am. No, I'm, I'm about to move into... I'm the about... trick is getting the Christians to stay Christian. Well, it, no, it's actually like a parable of and the seeds. The parable the of the gospel. seeds. Well, here's the interesting thing, JR, about that. Is the other thing seedlings need is they need some sort of agitation. So there are people who will put a fan, even if they're in a greenhouse. So a greenhouse, they get the light that they need. So they're not bending this way and that. And they're not, it's called becoming leggy. They're not becoming leggy because they're reaching for sunlight and they're not growing a strong enough stem to sustain them to actually like the cucumber stem problem was it was so thin, it couldn't run the nutrients up and down it that it needed mm. to. And it just eventually fell over and withered. And... The, the, uh, so in a greenhouse, or if you're just a person like me with 100 seedlings in a tiny tray, you have to run a fan over the top of it, or you actually run your hand gently over the top of the seedlings you in order them. to... No, you you provide Good them... Ceiling, you ceiling. Pro Good no, ceiling. opposite. You provide them with a form of adversity, because without a form of struggle which comes from the fan blowing on them, mimicking wind, or the actual, you can jiggle the trays to just as long as they're, the stems are moving and they're having to create roots that go out in multiple directions. And they're having to create stems that are thick enough to withstand wind and whatnot um, when they're actually put outside. And I was thinking about this when we were studying James in our life group I wasn't there this last week because I was sick, but the week before. And so much of, I mean, James, Peter talk about struggling. And, you know, in James, I've memorized this, so I feel like I should be able to say it off of the top of my head. But it's something about so that the testing of your faith. Um, I got to open it because I'm really not thinking right right now. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And, by the way, there's a fantastic kids' song that I'm going to have you post a link to uh, that goes with that, um, with that 
and our kids have memorized that particular passage of James really easily because it's so catchy and easy to remember. So anyway, uh, gotta pause it. I'm just finding it right now. So anyway, um, I, I mean, same thing with muscles. Like you're now, I feel like we're, we've been so inconsistent in our podcasting. I don't even know if people know that you hurt your shoulder, but JR hurt his shoulder doing some ski patrol stuff and it's just not gotten better not gotten better that was march 8th oh wow you really oh because you had to you wrote up a workers comp thing for it Mm -hmm. i've had to repeat that date four or five times okay i was like wow that's that's really precise anyway (laughs) um so he he hurt his shoulder it hasn't gotten better uh kind of self-diagnosed what he thought it probably was based on feeling and research and then went to a doctor what monday yeah monday and got the confirmation that that is actually what it what it is but what i'm curious about is in your pt well even for your knee when you had your knee surgery with your physical therapy you you don't just move your knee and have it get stronger you have to have some sort of resistance or strength training ultimately in order for your body to regain its strength. So this is why you lift weights, you use resistance bands, things like that. I don't as much as I want to. Well, right. But, um, I mean, as I've been looking, I also hurt my shoulder, not badly enough to go to a doctor, but eventually you, you use weight on it in order to make it stronger because resistance is almost necessary for strength. I mean, this is just thinking of another example. Have you guys ever seen video of people who've been on the International Space Station when they come back to Earth? They can't walk. They get carried in chairs like Jabba the Hutt through town when they get off of the when they get out of the shuttle that has taken them to the states the space station because they have not had gravity pulling their bodies down for a year or so. And, and their legs don't work anymore. They have to go through PT because they haven't experienced gravity and their leg muscles don't work anymore. You got designed literally the way the basic physics of the world works to make us strong because we experience resistance. And that is true in the physical world. It's true in the plant world. And it's absolutely true in the spiritual world, which uh, even as I say that, you can say it really blithely, but then when push comes to shove, it's a lot harder of a reality to own because nobody wants to go through suffering or adversity. Nobody wants to choose the hard thing that's going to make them better or stronger in the end. I mean... Physically, maybe well, maybe physically you choose to run a marathon, but well, that's where all the reminders in James, or that's why they're there, right? To tell us and remind us what that end. Uh, we talked about this a lot. In fact, on the Sunday you weren't there. What that end goal is, and what drives us to, like, why we have to keep our sights set on that, because we just we forget super easily. Yeah, we are weak. We are self-centered. We are take the path of least resistance uh creatures and we have just like we 
you know, this actually, this is a parenting qualm that we have a little bit right now <laughs> where we see our kids not trying their hardest at something and we know that they can do better and it bugs us. But at the same time, we can't make them do it. You know, so what's the what's the balance between pushing your kids and not... Oh, here's another... I was talking to somebody not too long ago about our girls' violin recital that they just had on Monday night. And by girls, I mean girl, because the younger one who was supposed to have her violin recital uh, just flat up refused to practice for the week and a half leading up to her recital. It clicked in her brain that this was going to be scary and she didn't want to do it. And no amount of bribing or disciplining, withholding things spanking her nothing got her to even raise that violin to her chin for a single practice and I was telling a friend how baffled and frustrated I was with this especially before I made the connection that she she was doing this because she was afraid of her recital not necessarily because she just shouldn't be playing violin in general because she does enjoy it and she said oh I have a friend whose daughter ended up in the symphony for a while and the first symphony show that she went to she sat there and cried just thinking about all of the fights that she'd had with her daughter for years and years and years over all of lessons and practice leading up to this moment where she's actually in the symphony and I was I was thinking about that comment afterwards and I was like that is amazing good for that mom that is not the type of mom that I am I don't think I have the perseverance and the stick to to externally enforce that on my kid and that depending on what type of mom or parent you are, maybe that says good things or bad things about me. I just don't feel really strongly pulled to fight those battles with my kids in this season of life. If it means that I'm less able to be a joyfully present mom in the things that I have to show up for on a daily basis. And so that's not a battle that I'm fighting with my kids right now or you know, practice, you know, doing extra exercise outside of what we do for judo and stuff. But, but God is our perfect parent and he actually knows the right level of pushing us to succeed. And by succeed, I mean to become holy as he is holy and to grow in Christlikeness. And so he, he gives us pressure cooker moments and graciously gives us breaks from those. Because otherwise, we're like a lanky seedling that, oh, parable of the sower, that shoots up in shallow ground and then has no roots and withers the minute something bad comes along. Now, I wonder if we do some, I often reflect about how far and how hard we push our kids if we just, if there's a lot of things we don't do to their detriment now that will be like, I should have pushed them harder here or forced them to do that there like later in life. I can't think that hard about it because I feel like I'm just trying to kind of survive in the moment. I do think that hard about it. Yeah. Unfortunately. I think there's, there's a balance there. That's probably why they have a dad who's has the drive to push them and the mom who has the drive to comfort and nurture them, which I will pivot and then I will stop talking. Uh, I, I read about four chapters for a cane of ox thing recently of a book um, I can't remember what the book is called right now. It's about boys and men. The author's name is Richard Reeves. I wouldn't encourage you to buy it. 
He's a he's a liberal researcher, maybe professor. I don't know that I don't know anything about him, except that his liberal bias comes through pretty thoroughly in this research where he's looking at the way that men are floundering in America today, especially America. And it's true across pretty much every racial lines. It's more true the lower down on the socioeconomic thing you go. But with some of my Canavox colleagues, we were talking about how how do we grow and instill good masculinity in men in our culture? Because we believe that good masculinity is deeply important for a culture to thrive. And one of the women made the comment that men are valued, women are valued by who they are, and men are valued by what they do. And I thought that was kind of, uh, it, on the one hand, I think it's really insightful that women are valued by who we are. We tend to see inherent nurturing characteristics or just things that we are deep within us that spill out in ways that we interact with other people, our relationships, that tends to be what gives us a sense of value and that what instills a sense of value, you know, that other people see value in us. Whereas men are driven to accomplishment, to achievement, to having something tangible that they can look at and say, I did that, therefore I am somebody, therefore I have value. And uh, I think in a lot of ways there's, there's a for lack of a better word, a natural law uh, reason for that, which is that men have testosterone driving them. By the way, did I tell you that I read recently that a si- that high tolerance for spicy things is a sign of high testosterone? Yeah. yeah you did tell me <laughs> In men and women, not just men. But, um, but that explains a lot of why how men tend to like spicy things more than women anyway um you know this this drive to achieve and to be able to do things is what you know thinking about little house on the prairie you know it's what made people conquer and settle the west going back to even to what we were talking about earlier lewis and clark you know that was a an expedition that was night I'm trying to think of what the numbers would be. If there were 50 people on the expedition and one was a woman, that was 2, 2% fema- female, 98% male. You know, um, and that's because it's men are driven to do things. Why don't we go on a two-year expedition that you may never come back from? And you can do it for a chunk of land and for glory. <laughs> a lot of women are going to be like, nah, I'll pass. And Sacagawea kind of got conscripted, right? I'm not sure that she volunteered for the job. I feel like maybe her husband volunteered her for the job. And he did it for the money, as far as I understand. He convinced them to hire them as interpreters. And then she comes along with all of these womanly skills of of identifying plants and herbs and uh, that are going to be good for food and for healing and of negotiating with the Shoshone tribe. And, you know, so she comes along and offers something tremendous to this group of men that none of them had. Um, but my point is, would the West have been settled if it were all up to women? Probably not. <laughs> you know? I mean, in the little house on the prairie, Ma Ingalls is always like, 
are you sure we have to move further west again? Like, you just finished building this house. Really? Okay. Okay. We'll follow you. And, and yet, you know, there's, there's a great yin and yang, and I mean that not in a spiritual sense, uh, to the fact that you have, that it's a both hand. But um, another, another phrase that one of the women used was that um, men uh, are, are most challenged or feel most alive or overcome adversity when they're facing death. So like war, hunting, Lewis and Clark expedition, women are facing life, i.e. childbearing, bringing new life into the world, keeping kids alive, things like that. And that's a challenging and sometimes terrifying endeavor. And so you have this where fear makes you feel most alive. For men, it's facing death. And for women, it's facing life. Uh Anyway, just some interesting thoughts on masculinity. Well, and you know the, the the I mean, the, what's the first question that guys tend to ask each other or something else? Well, what do you do? Yeah. What do you do for a living? Or if you're the first. if you're my brother's father-in-law who is Asian, how much do you make? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's cause for that right that question right there is probably cause for one hundred percent of like midlife crises in America for for men. Because you get to an age of like 40 or 50 and you realize you haven't done anything you set out to do and you're not in a place where you want to be. And the opportunities for you to go set out and do what you wanted to do are completely gone. Like you're, they're never coming back. Because you're and locked you, down by a wife it and puts kids you into and so you some have sort to of, do the work that puts it, food it on the table. It puts you into some sort of like existential crisis. And it's like, you know, that's just, that's what it is. But yeah, no, that makes sense. And I can't think of any, I can't think of a single, um, uh, I can think of very little in pop culture that promotes what is uh, historically or even traditionally considered male. Um, they're just, it's being, everybody's just trying to wipe it all out. And, and what's so interesting <clears throat> about that is, is if you just sit back and you say, what, what produces, obviously we can't make men go extinct, Right. Uh, Although I think they're really working hard to make. Yeah, them that's extinct. true. That's true. <clears throat> you either all have to. You have to either have to be. Uh, oddly, you either have to be attracted to another man, or you have to adopt nothing but feminine char- characteristics. Yes. <laughs> so. And and like and how's that working out for us? Just functionally, you can't take. <coughs> you can't take, the design you can misuse the design but you can't actually take the design out of men the the biological and the brain development and the physiology that goes with it and so what you get when you're repressing it is you get all of these really really messed up people first of all but you also get a lot of repressed rage i mean just look at how angry antifa people are like you know, you are, you are a really not masculine, angry person. <laughs> and But then, like, um, in China, you've got this whole army of people who are billing, being willing, willing to be experimented on to become, like, robot people, hybrid supermen, because there's no women for them to marry. And they don't have a good model of masculinity to follow. And 
the thing that that is so countercultural that will not catch on because it's so countercultural, but that we have to dig into is good men are built in the family. And this is why I segued in the, into this to begin with. Children need, whether they're boys or girls, need the asymmetry of maybe symmetry that, you know, equal but different of a man and a woman in the home with them, pushing them and comforting them, uh, cheering them on and also critiquing their performance. You know, this this constant push and pull that when that that is almost it is basically effortless because it exudes from who we are right that you know it it's not effortless parenting is a lot of work but the way our identity as a man or as a woman spills over into our parenting is just part of how we're designed and so girls don't grow up with a vision for family and for what to expect from a man that they would ideally marry and then raise kids with and boys have no idea what to what to do or what to expect or to what to grow into if they don't have this little microcosm of the world happening in their home shaping them into the sort of men that the world the entire world needs quite frankly and um and yet we have this incredibly potent uh way to change the world that we are in fact doing right now and you know i've uh did have you have you seen any of the tucker tucker carlson hubbub going on i've seen it but i've not paid attention so we are so far out of my interest sphere yeah well what's interesting to me is is i'm not super interested in the politics of what happened at fox news with why they let him go and whatnot. What is funny is how he seems to be reacting, which is some reporters were trying to track him down. And he just laughed in their face and was like, I haven't had dinner with my wife on a weeknight in seven years. You know, they're like, what's next on your agenda? And he's like, an appetizer and dessert for this dinner. <laughs> it's just, And um, all these people are saying just how incredibly nice he actually was to them in person when they were on his show or when they had occasions or whatever. But there's a clip that's been going around <clears throat> quite a while where he's interviewed by some lower level conservative commentator. And he's, this guy says, what's your life advice for people? And he very earnestly kind of leans into the camera and he says, get married younger than you think you should, uh, have more kids than you think you can afford. And he has four kids, by the way. And he kind of goes on and on, like, and it's don't leave anything on the table, work really hard. But also he was like, look, in the short run, these big, these big people that we're looking at going, they're going to, I'm afraid they're going to take over the world. They are, they're going to win short in the short run. And, you know, so you focus on you living life to the fullest and loving the people around you and I just I, I like that that clip is making the rounds because it speaks to somebody who I mean, that was prior to his firing from Fox. And I have no doubt that given the audience that he has, he's probably going to be better off without Fox than he was with them, quite frankly, because apparently somebody said his Twitter, like his Twitter rant video got more followers or got more watches than like 
his entire an entire like season of his Fox episodes. It doesn't surprise me in the least. And then you know conservatives like to bandwagon, and so they're gonna band together and support him because he's you know they view him as a champion. Anyway, all that to say, I just his his comment. You know, if you want to make a difference in the world and if you want to feel like you lived a worthwhile life, have a lot of kids. Find, I can't remember what he said about work. He has some advice about work that would probably be relevant to people who are in a position to have a lot of kids. And um, but, you know, just don't don't leave things on the table and don't worry about what you are leaving on the table. And uh, I think that he's one model of masculinity that it's nice to have out there. And my voice is giving out, so I'm going to stop talking and go take my unison. <laughs> Well, we are roughly at about uh, 45 minutes or so, so we'll call it good. Gives people some stuff to chew on. I had a few thoughts that did pass through my head um, as uh, Molly was talking, but uh, I'll save those for next time. Well, if you want to send us a message, you can do so at our website, www.toobusytoflush.com. That's all grammatically correct, T-O-O, busytoflush.com. And uh, we've scroll down there. We've got a little postcard option. You can send us a message there. Or you can do what a lot of people love to do, and that is jump on our private Telegram chat group. We have a group on Telegram. The link for that is also in the show notes. Um, Which Laura's back on now because she got a phone oh, with more memory. Hey, Hi, hey. Laura. How do, I don't... That, mm, okay. I, I don't know how you, you run out of memory... Because you can always just reset a device and just start from scratch, and then you're back to your memory. I don't know either. Um, speaking of which, we've got a lot of photo editing that we've got to do. Somebody recently did some editing cleaning because we had some space freed up on our iCloud account. But I deleted about 150. Yeah. Titus deleted a ton, actually. This is the problem with uh, having um, living in the modern age with kids and devices and all the things is that when you share, uh, when you share. Services like iCloud to back up your devices. Everybody uses them and uses up all the space on stupid photos. But that's okay. I'll keep that opinion to myself. Um, I didn't because I just shared it with you guys. Okay. Well, that said, I don't think I have anything else. Molly, you don't have anything else? I don't. I'm going to go take my Unisom and go to bed. Uh, back to going to bed. And uh, so we'll see you guys hopefully. Uh, hopefully next week. God willing. There you go.